The title of my sermon comes from a quote we will see in today's text. It is from a verse in today's text, and it also happens to be the exact question on the mind of every nine-year-old boy in church. It may, in fact, be the question on your mind. And that is, the title of my sermon, How Long Till the End? How long till the end? We've come to the final vision of Daniel. Guys, this is it. You've come to the end of the True Grit series. And the last vision of Daniel's four visions that he has in chapters 7 through 12 come in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And so we're going to, because of time constraints, we won't be able to read every verse. But you'll see chapter 10 is sort of the introduction to the vision. Chapter 11 is the vision itself. Chapter 12 is the epilogue. And we're going to cover it in these three headings. Note takers. Rejoice. Three points, and they even all start with B. We're going to look at, and by far and away, the largest point, behind the curtain. Behind the curtain. Got it? Then, beyond the grave. And finally, we'll close the whole series with, back to today. Behind the curtain, beyond the grave, back to today. And technically under behind the curtain, I even have sub points. So, okay, for those of you, let those with ears here. Um, behind the curtain, beyond the grave, back to today. Let's get to it. Chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. What's going on here? Why the, why the fasting and the mourning? I mean, to not, to not eat the delicacies, the, the, the rich meat and wine, and, and to not use any of the lotions that would make life in a desert climate more bearable. It doesn't do any of that. Why? If you've been tracking along the book of Daniel, remember by now, Daniel's an old man. Probably retired from civil service. There's, by all indications, he would have been well into his 80s, in the back half of the 80s decade. So you've got an 86-year-old retired civil servant. Why is he mourning? Why is he fasting? Because it's the third year. Did you see that in verse 1? It's the third year of Cyrus. What does that mean? It means the people have gotten to go home. It means that Cyrus is the one who made the edict to let God's people go back to Jerusalem. This should have been rejoicing. Does it strike you as odd that Daniel didn't go back with him? He was an 86-year-old man. Maybe he said, well, you know, I'm too frail to make that journey. I, or just, I don't, I don't want to do. Now that I'm in my 80s, I don't want to do some of the things I did when I was younger. Okay. For whatever reason, I think it's because God knew he had a plan and a purpose for him there. But he was sort of like... Uh, commiserating in spirit with his people who were back in Jerusalem. Why? Because they were supposed to go back to Jerusalem and it was going to be awesome. They were going to rebuild the city and the walls and most of all the temple. And instead, calamity struck. And instead of being able to rebuild all that, you go back and read Ezra. You go back and read Nehemiah. They ran into all sorts of opposition. And Daniel's crying out to the Lord, why? I thought we were finally going to get to go back. That meant everything was going to be good. And, and it seems like all these forces are working against the people of God. And so just when he needs it, he gets this, he gets this vision in verse 4. And he remembers, look, he remembers the exact day and remembers right where he was some of you are like that you've had an encounter with God and it was so powerful you can tell me exactly when it was and you can tell me exactly where you were when it happened 
You know, like past the time I was right there. It was the 24th of Nisan in the Hebrew calendar, and I was on the banks of the Tiger. <laughs> that's Daniel's. On the 24th day of the first month, that's, by the way, it's a couple days after Passover. It should have been a time of great celebration. As I was standing on the bank of the great river, that's what we call the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, oh, he sees this angel, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. As I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Not to make too much of this, but uh, when, 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 he, when, when people in Scripture see an angel, they don't go, that was the neatest thing. That was just the neatest thing. I want to tell others about it, right? This is not Hallmark baby angel, right? This is a, 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 this, this dreadful, and, and every time in the book of Daniel, did you notice that? Every time he gets a word from the Lord, he wants to go to bed for a week. The guy falls in a coma, falls into a deep sleep. He's, he's hit by this revelation, and he wants to completely pass out. Which is why I don't take it too personal when people fall asleep in my sermons. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like Daniel got a word from, the Lord, from an angel who's in the presence of God and fell asleep. Yeah, it's okay. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Do you remember that from last week? When you, you know that you're heard, you know that you're loved, you know that your future is secure. Here it is again. Daniel, you're a man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright for now. I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, fear not, Daniel. See, you don't tell somebody fear not unless clearly they're full of fear. Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. In other words, ever since day one you've been praying, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. You think, well, why didn't you get here sooner? Well, I got held up. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. <laughs> it's like, um... We should come back to that. Uh, that's not like there was traffic. Like, yeah, there was this demonic force that tried to intercept me, and the archangel Michael came and helped me out. Okay, that's a fair reason. Uh, and came, but here's why I've come, to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me. No breath is left in me. I, I, I just want to point out that... that, that Daniel, it, it's like you need the touch of God. You need the help of God to even be able to hear from God. To stand before, this is just a servant of the Lord. Imagine standing before the Lord himself. And it's a word also of encouragement. This is just a side note. Um, but Daniel is fearful and frail and faithful. That is a word for anyone who feels fearful this morning. 
or feels frail. You can be fearful and frail and faithful. Daniel is. And maybe you feel that way. I'm, I'm, I've been beaten up too much. I've been, I, I, I myself have made too many mistakes. I'm so filled with fears and anxieties and all that. You can still be faithful. Fearful, frail, and faithful. Again, verse 18, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh man, greatly loved. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. The word of God has that power, doesn't it? And said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? I mean, why would I leave such an important fight? But now I will return to the fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Okay. You see why I call this part behind the curtain. If we could peek behind the curtain of physical realities, if we could peek behind the curtain of human history, we would see there are cosmic spiritual forces at war. Some of you are thinking, oh, preacher. Are you, I mean, you mean, to, you mean to tell me we're going to talk here in this day and age, we're going to sit here and talk about angels and demons and cosmic spiritual warfare. We're really going to talk about that? We're really going to go there? Yes, we are. <laughs> you say, man, you really expect me to believe that there are angels who are apparently like assigned different groups? Like Michael is apparently the guardian angel of God's people of Israel. And this, whoever these arch, arch demons of, uh, of, of Persia have sort of been assigned the territory of Persia. And that this angel was trying to fight these Persian assigned demons and uh, Michael has to come in and help you. I mean, you expect me to believe all that? Well, you can believe it or not. That's your choice, but it's here. It's real. Daniel discovers in this verse, there is more than meets the eye when it comes to the events of history. History is not just determined by the machinations of men that, uh, uh, that nations are out there to define their own destiny, but that behind the operations of nations in history, there are these spiritual forces at work. Abraham Kuyper puts it this way, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose our spiritual vision, a, to our spiritual vision, a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there. That's where the real conflict is waged and our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. Daniel was learning the ultimate power struggle is fought out in a realm that most of us don't think much about. It's not between Washington, D.C. and Moscow or Beijing. It's not in the Middle East. In fact, in these places, in these crises, we identify with these locations. I think what we identify with these problems in these locations are, are reflections of an older, more ruthless, more perpetual cosmic conflict. Namely, the one between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, which seeks to turn the direction of all history against God and its people. But you can even bring it to a more personal level. It's not just oh, your husband or your wife's being so unreasonable. That's not just the root cause of your difficulty. It's not that your job situation is so impossible or oh, this rebellious child is so wayward. All that may be true, but it's not just that. You've got to ask, what's behind that? What's beyond that? It's not just your own sins and hurts and habits and hang-ups. you got to ask, what's behind that? 
the underlying spiritual battle. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's been happening all the way since Genesis 3, right? When uh, God uh, puts the curse down on the serpent, he says, I'll put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. Apparently, when Satan was cast out of heaven, when Satan was expelled, he took with him a bunch of angels, and these are fallen angels, and these demons have aligned themselves with Satan to oppose God and oppose God's people. That's why, by the way, in that same passage I quoted, Ephesians 6, Paul says, what's a Christian to do? Put on the full armor of God, right? So you put on the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth. You got the sword of the Spirit. Notice all that armor. Notice, too, there's no armor for the back. All the armor's in the front. It's because we never run. We don't have to. Because Psalm 91 says he'll give his angels charge concerning you. So God goes before us, and I got angels on my six. See? Spiritual armor for spiritual battles. And then he ends that whole thing about spiritual armor by saying what? So pray. Pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Offer up every kind of prayer and supplication. And while you're at it, pray, pray with me. It's prayer is the weapon that fights these spiritual battles. Back behind the curtain. Look, here's just, and these are the sub points, I guess. A couple encouragements for prayer. Look at verse 12. The angel said, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you've set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. Whoa, 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 whoa. I have come because of your words. Like, is it safe to say Daniel's prayer stirred the heavenlies? Daniel's prayer put angels in motion. Are you allowed to say that? I don't know if you are, and so I'll quote Joyce Baldwin. See, if you're unsure of something, just quote an expert. It says, this visitation from the angel would not have occurred apart from Daniel's specific prayer. Prayer can mobilize angels. Y'all, does that not encourage you to pray? To prayer mobilizes angels? I love this one uh, Dutch commentator puts it this way. In the mighty battle being fought between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, Daniel succeeded in mobilizing the angels as the spiritual air force. <laughs> prayer mobilizes this angel. When, the, when Daniel prays, when God's people pray, heaven goes to work. I, I, this is a great mystery I don't understand because heaven is sovereign and heaven works. Yes, but here it is. So prayer mobilizes angels. Notice something else to encourage you to pray. This business about verse 13. The angel says, yeah, I got held up. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Michael shows up and, you know, he helps me and I came to help you understand all this. So, I mean, why? Think through this for a second. Apparently, the angel was dispatched to bring Daniel a message, really all of chapter 11 was the message, that's going to encourage him to keep praying. Now, why? Why would then this archdemon, whoever this, this prince of Persia, which I take to be this demonic being that's been like assigned to Persia, why would he send him? He's, remember, he's been opposing God, opposing the people of God, probably opposing the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Daniel's been praying for that. And when this angel is coming. He, remember, he's not coming to fight against the prince of Persia. He's coming to encourage Daniel. And the prince of Persia begins to impede his progress. Fights tooth and nail. Why? What is so important? Why is demons in hell so scared that an angel's going to make it 
to a human being and encourage him to keep praying because that's just it. The thing that scares the demons is prayer of God's people. It's prayer. Let me explain. The demons in hell are not threatened by a bunch of talk. They're not threatened by guns or uniforms or tanks, but they will fight tooth and nail when God's people pray. Hell trembles when God's people pray. Prayer scares the demons. It's the only weapon that scares them. And so this demon who's assigned Persia knows if Daniel, he's been praying, oh, but he's going to give up. He's going to give up because sometimes God takes a long time to answer. So all I have to do, I can't stop the angels. I can't stop God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? I can't stop God's work. But if I can just delay it long enough until God's servant will quit praying, he'll give up. Now, have you ever been tempted to give up on something when you're praying? Would it not change your prayer life to know that right now as you're praying, there's an angel fighting through a demonic blockade to get to you the encouragement you need to just keep praying? That you might be on the brink. You see, brink. You see what I'm saying? Look behind that spiritual curtain and you peek behind the curtain and you realize there's this conflict going on. And hell is only terrified by one weapon it's when you pray. That's it. The demons are not scared of uh, guns or, to use ancient language, horses and chariots, to use modern imagery. They are not afraid of a church's marketing strategy. They're not afraid of a church's size of her buildings or her annual offerings. They're not afraid of the eloquence of any preacher. They're not afraid of any man-made weaponry. But when on the 24th of Nisan, an 86-year-old retired civil servant bowed his knee to pray, all hell lost its mind. Because the power is in God and it is accessed when God's people pray. So the king of this, this demonic being assigned to Persia says, you know, all I got to do, is, he's playing free safety out here trying, I just can't get this, this angel can't get to Daniel. Because if he gets to Daniel, Daniel will keep praying. And prayer is what terrifies the demons in hell. It would change the way we intercede if we could see behind the curtain. Some of you are battling your own blockade, discouragement. Oh, if you will persevere, if you will look behind the curtain in Daniel 10 and you'll realize all of heaven is fighting on your behalf. So he gives him this vision. We won't take time to read the vision. It's spelled out in Daniel 11. And this encouraging vision is meant to tell Daniel it's going to be okay. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. What's cool about Daniel 11 is the prophecy is so specific. You can take a secular history book and you can take Daniel 11 and you can just walk right through it. He's going to talk about the fall of Persia. Then he's going to talk about Alexander the Great. Alexander didn't have a proper heir, so he divided the Greek empire into four. Eventually, two of the kingdoms got really important and big. A kingdom in the north, think uh, the Seleucid Empire, if you remember your world civilization classes. The kingdom in the south was Ptolemy and the Egyptian Empire. Uh, they fought it out and clashed. Eventually, getting around 150 years B.C., uh, the worst of the worst w uh, opponent of God and the Jewish people was this ruler, Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He, this desolated, slaughtered women and children, desolated the Jerusalem temple. It was an abomination. And so he talks about this in chapter 11. Hang on, this is what's coming. Then, and this is what happens over and over in Daniel, then he starts talking about somebody that goes way beyond what Antiochus IV Epiphany does. And that's why I think this prophecy is telescoped. And, and so part of it's been fulfilled. But then he's saying, mm, but at the very end, somewhere around verse 36 or verse 40 of chapter 11, he says, yeah, but this stuff's still to come for God's people. Like to the very end. Pick it up here. I'll show you what I mean. There's coming this, 
Bible readers mostly interpret it as this man of lawlessness, or you might call him the Antichrist, coming at the end, and he will rely on the God of the strongest fortresses, so he'll have great military power. He'll rely on foreign gods. There'll be a pagan influence. And look at verse 42. This, is, this goes well beyond what Antiochus did, and that's why I think this describes the coming Antichrist one day coming against the people of God. This is our future, y'all. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries. The land of Egypt shall not escape. He'll have access to financial markets. Look, he shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and of all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites will follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. He'll go out with a great fury. This is uh, maybe the last battle, Armageddon, to destroy and devote many to destruction. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Don't worry. He's going to come to his end. And there'll be hope for the people of God. Look, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of his people. But look behind the curtain. Look, look, look. It's not going to be easy. There shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen since there was a nation till that time. He's encouraging Daniel, stay faithful, stay loyal, stay true. You see that? Antichrists shall come and ultimately culminating in the Antichrist, but you are not alone. The God of the angel armies fights for you. Michael has been assigned to you, and he's, he's strong enough to fight, but things are going to get bad. Look, look, never been since there's the time of trouble like you've never seen. If that sounds familiar, there's going to be such tribulation like the world has never seen. If that sounds familiar, this is the end of the world. Jesus makes the same prediction when he talks about signs of the end. If that sounds familiar, Jesus said the same thing. Look at Matthew 24. Look at what he says in verse 21. For then, he's talking about the end of time, there will be a, this great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Jesus knew his Bible. I think he's drawing, I mean, you know, he wrote it. He's drawing from uh, this passage in Daniel. So ask yourself, as you think about human history, just ask yourself a little, little uh, thought question. Um, do you see history... Do you see human flourishing getting better and better and more and more righteous until one day so much righteousness throughout the earth and the world evangelism that Jesus can come and set up this millennial kingdom and all shall be well because of all the goodness that's happening in human life? Or do you see things getting worse and worse until there's a time such great tribulation you wonder how did we get here and can things get any worse? The Bible would say it's the latter. Uh, you don't, I think people, even without, even without access to the Bible, I think they, they understand this, right? I mean, even in a secular society, like, are things getting better and better until the, finally the kingdom, or is it worse and worse until the final battle and rescue? I mean, look at technology. We've got all this technology. We've got all this ability to heal and, and to do all these great things. In fact, we even have a medium by which people can be connected socially. We call it social media, won't this be a savior? I mean, do you think that social media, since its inception, has drawn us closer as a nation in unity? Or, you've already laughed before I finished the point, right? Right? So clearly, right? This is what, this is what the Bible says. Look, look, look. Uh, one commentator. We will come to a point in history where it, it will get so bad, it will appear darkness really has won the day. It will seem as if the Antichrist is going to continue forever, and it will seem as if the church has been entirely obliterated for there will be no longer any sign of it. Luther made the same point. He said there will come a day when the pulpits will remain empty and the only pastors will be the fathers in their homes, preaching the word to their kids quietly for fear of, you know, oppression. 
Now, we say, how could that be? We live in such a privileged place here where we are. But our brothers and sisters in North Korea would say, we're already starting to see that. This is what's ahead. But forewarned is forearmed. And so he's saying, hang in there, right? There's going to be great tribulation, but there's great hope. And so as I said, we spent the majority of our time on looking behind the curtain. But I want to wrap up with these last two points quickly. Where's our hope? Oh, there's hope for Daniel, and it is a hope beyond the grave. I mean, what if we die before this great tribulation? Or what if we die during this tribulation? Or what if our, what's going to happen to our kids and grandkids? And what if we die fighting against the Antichrist? What will happen? Is there hope? Look at the rest of verse 1 in chapter 12. There is hope beyond the grave. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Oh, that's great. Does that mean everybody who is an ethnic Israelite will be delivered? Your people will be delivered? No. What does that mean? Who's really God's people? Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the question of Daniel. Listen, you're going to be okay. Why? Because whatever happens, God has written your name in his book. Let me ask you this morning, is your name in the book? Has your name been written in that book? That is the question. That is what separates. You say, well, what separates human beings? Is it, is it gender, you know, male, female? Is it, is it ethnicity? Is it race? Like in the Bible, they talk about there's Jew and Greek. and so No, no, no. There's only one thing that separates people. Those who have received the truth of the good news of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, received it with gladness. Those who have rejected it, that's it. Those who have received it, God has written your name in his book. He's saying, Daniel, your name's written in the book. There's your deliverance. Is your name written in the book? Listen, can you imagine standing before God? That is all that matters. Is your name written in the book? Do you know? Can you answer with assurance of that? Uh, I mean, it's it's scary enough when I I check into a hotel, you know. Um, You have a reservation? Yes. Last name, please? Richter. And then you just watch their face, and it's like, then they do lasers. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and you're like, what, 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 no. And you, 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 my palms start to sweat, you know. And they're like, um, would it be under a different name? I'm like, yes, I use an alias when I travel. <laughs> no one knows my super identity. Uh, no, it's either. The- well, we have no record of your, right? I'm, 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 I'm having anxiety thinking about this. <laughs> but that's a minor inconvenience. But the Bible says, found written in the book, and you will rise to eternal life. There'll be a resurrection. You will continue to be you. Does everyone understand that? There will never be a time when you cease to be you. Is everyone clear on that? You exist eternally. You are not a body who happens to have a soul for a little while while you're on earth. You are a soul eternally who happens to right now have an earthly body. Do you understand? So that soul is going to go one of two places forever and ever. Some to everlasting welcome in, everlasting life. Some to everlasting condemnation. What's the difference? Have you been saved? Have you been rescued? You will never cease to be you. You will go on forever, eternally, before God or in utter shame, cast out, away from the presence of God. That's it. There's only one of two destinations. There is no in-between. Everyone will be resurrected to one of those two places. Now, is your name written in the book? Listen, I heard Alistair Begg, uh, he preached some sermon a long time ago, and he used this illustration, and I thought, that's it. It touched me. I heard it this week. 
If you answer that question, oh, hear me, if you answer that question in any way in the first person, you're already on the wrong track. Here's what I mean. If I asked you, and you, if we had a private moment, is your name written in the book? And you said, well, I've, you know, I've, I did this, and I prayed this prayer, and I, I did this, and when I was a kid, I did this, and I've tried to live a good life, and I've did, oh, no, 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 no. You're already on the wrong track. Your name is written in the book. You don't write your name in the book. Here, I've been a good person. Give me that pen, God. Hmm. Your name is written. You were rescued. So people who know, you want assurance of your salvation? Oh, it's all, it's not in the first person. I did this and I was praying. I, I, can, I can show you the date. I, I, was, I became a church member right then, right there. By the way, if you're not a church member, your name's not written in the book of the church. You can come tonight, discover first, 4 p.m., get in our book. But that's not going to save you, right? That's church membership. And I highly recommend. Some of you have been here for 100 years. You need to come on. Let's do it, right? Okay. But that's our book. What about, what about God's book? Listen, if it's first person, if it's what you did, oh, listen, the, the, one, the name written in the book says what? Jesus found me. Jesus saved me. Jesus rescued me. Anyway, that Alistair Begg thing, he says, uh, he imagines, do you remember the thief on the cross? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Remember that moment? He says, imagine the thief on the cross arrival in heaven. The angel, what are you doing here? Had the same thought. (laughs) All right, let's do this thing. Um, Do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone? Never heard of it. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Do you know any of the Ten Commandments? Nope. I I bet I broke them all. Well, I mean, do you have any sort of righteousness by which I was literally executed for my wickedness? You know the answer to that. Well, what are you doing here? I'm just as shocked as you are. The angel thinks, I got to go get my supervisor. I'm sorry. (laughs) He goes and gets Michael or whoever. Listen, your name's in the book. What gives? The guy says, I don't know. But the man on the middle cross said I could come. If they allow t-shirts on your first day in heaven, I want that one printed on mine. What are you doing here, Tom? You are a preacher. Everybody knows they're the worst sorts of hypocrites. (laughs) I know. But the man on the middle cross said I could come. Even me. You know, the man on the middle cross still says you can come today. If you've not received him. Will you? It's not about what you've done. Oh, no, your name was written in his book. That's the Christian hope beyond the grave. That's the Christian hope, Daniel. That that is resurrection in the Old Testament right there. He's saying, Daniel, there will be resurrection. Jesus alludes to this over and over. Hope beyond the grave. But, and I want to close not just the sermon, but the entire series with this last point, but back to today. So what does all this have to do with us today? Daniel actually has the same question. Look, verse five. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? 
Some of you are asking that very question. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. And he raised, it, he raised his right hand. We've seen that in the Old Testament when people swear an oath. And his left hand. We've never seen that. Toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. It would be for a time, times, and half a time. You say, preacher, what does that mean? I don't know. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end. You see that? The shattering of the power of the holy people. In other words, things are going to get bad for God's people. When it finally comes to an end, it'll be finished. And Daniel said, I heard, but I did not understand. Oh, y'all, that verse gives me so much hope as I've tried to preach through Daniel. I feel that way almost on every chapter. I feel like maybe we should, if God gives me an opportunity one day, maybe years from now, church, we'll go back through this and I'll, I'll try to get it right. Yeah, some of the, <laughs> I heard, but I did not understand. So every time, you know, you think about prophecy, once again, Alistair Begg on this point, but it starts to make sense. Like, but that's it. Think about, what, think about where we've been in Daniel. Think about what we're looking forward to. Let's bring this back to today. This was meant to encourage Daniel, but he didn't understand yet. He didn't, chapter 11 hadn't happened. But I got to thinking, that's how prophecy always works. Prophecy only makes sense once you're on the other side of it. Then Bible prophecy makes all the sense in the world. What do they say? Hindsight is 2020. Once you've lived through it, it makes all the sense. Until it happens, you're like, I don't know, it's a mystery. But that's how all Bible prophecy works. So, um, uh, when Jesus is born at Christmas, remember? <laughs> it's kind of a big thing for us Christians, yeah. So when Jesus is born, Herod gets this word like a king. What, what is this? A king? A king has been born? So he calls in all the wise men. Search the scriptures. Is there anything about a new king being born? And they're all like, well, yeah, actually, yeah. One of our own prophets said uh, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And so he goes out and eradicates all these infants in Bethlehem. But at the time, that made no sense. Now, looking back at Micah 5, you go, of course, he said Messiah be born in Bethlehem. How'd you miss it? But ahead of time, it's impossible to understand. So Micah writes that, and later his wife is like, what'd you write today? Uh, I, wrote about how, I wrote about how the Messiah was like gonna be born in Bethlehem. What do you think that means? I have no idea. But it's probably like a metaphor, Bethlehem, house of bread. The Messiah will be born in a bakery. It's probably, you know, probably what it means, you know. Looking back, you go, of course, how could they have missed it? Because prophecy only makes sense when looking back. Isaiah writes Isaiah 53. And then like um, later, uh, his wife is like, what would you write today? Oh, I wrote an incredible passage today. I'm going to call it chapter 53 when the chapters get numbered. And it was all, well, what was it about? It was about this suffering servant and how, like, though the, this guy didn't do anything wrong, all the sins of the people were laid on him. What do you think it means? I have no idea. It was beautiful. I started crying when I was writing it, but I don't, I don't know. Well, why'd you write it then? Because God told me to. God told me what to write. He revealed to me. I write it. I, said, I heard, but I, I didn't understand. And now looking back, we're like, of course, that's the Messiah. That's G By his stripes, we're healed. Like, hello, it's so obvious. Well, it's not obvious looking forward. Why do I bring all that up? Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome? I want to know. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Shut up and sealed, by the way, doesn't mean hidden 
um, shut up and sealed means authenticated. When you had a legal document in the ancient Near East, you'd make two copies. One that you could put in the library and everybody could see and you could use all the time. The other, you'd shut it up and seal it with a clay seal. So that if over time somebody would say, I think you changed this document. I think you changed this. Eventually they would go to a court of law and they would say, fine, there's one way to know. Has it been changed? Go get it. They'd go get the ancient document, break the seal. They would break it open. And if it had been changed, it was big trouble. If, however, it matched, authenticated. The word that God gave to Daniel, shut up and sealed means authenticated. It's God's word for us today. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And that's what they do. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from that time that the regular burnt offering, everybody got this? Get out your graphs and your calculators. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Now, what does that prophecy mean? When the Antichrist comes and everything goes crazy, guys, from the time of the ceasing of the, of the sacrifice to the abomination of desolation, there's going to be 1,290 days. But blessed is the one who perseveres just a little bit longer to the full 1,335. Preacher, what does that mean? I have no idea. None. I'm just like Micah in, back in when he wrote Micah 5 going, what do you think it means he's born in Bethlehem? I have no idea. But I know this, I know this. Once we live through it, we'll go, well, duh, 1,290 days. Obviously, I mean, he told, what were these Christians thinking? He said clearly a time, two times, and half a time. What's hard to understand about that, right? I don't know. Does everybody see my point about prophecy? Once we, will it be our kids? Will it be our grandkids? Will it be our own generation? Will it be our great, 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 great grandkids? I don't know. But some group of Christians is going to live through this, and they're going to go 1,290 days, okay? Until then, what's the plain thing that's the main thing, and the main thing that's the plain thing? Back to today, what do we need to know? The angel's saying, so hang in there, Daniel. Hang in there. And to you, keep on keeping on. What do we know about the 1,290 days? Well, we know that there's going to come a time where you're like, things can't get any worse. We might as well just quit. Oh, blessed is the man who goes all the way to 1335. Blessed is that woman, blessed is that family who goes all the way and perseveres to the 1335. So back to today. What is the angel's word to Daniel? After all this, what do we do? Okay, 1290, 1335. The angel tells Daniel, but go your way and get your calculator and spend all Sunday afternoon trying to figure out this thing and so that your room looks like a beautiful mind where you've pieced it all together. The four-headed leopard, of course, it makes, okay. No. He tells him, go your way till the end and you shall rest. It means you shall die and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. <laughs> Angel's word to Daniel. Can you imagine of all things? What am I supposed to do? Back today. What do I do with all this prophecy? I mean, I've been in a coma over all this stuff. This has knocked me off my feet. What do I do? Go your way. You've been praying? Keep praying. You've been persevering? Keep persevering. Go your way. You will die. And then you will be raised up to your allotted place. Sounds like Jesus. I am going to prepare a place for you. You will die. Go your way. You will die but you will be raised up and I've got a place for you. That's his word to Daniel. 
Really, that's his word to us. I mean, isn't it? I mean, I'm imagining you this week and somebody asks you, hey, uh, I heard you go to First Baptist. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I've been going to First Baptist. Um, I became a member Sunday. They had this Discover First thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard your preacher, I heard you have a crazy preacher who took you all through the whole book of Daniel. Is that true? Uh, yeah, yeah, it got a little weird. Um, yeah. Well, what did he say you're supposed to do with all those prophecies? Well, it was crazy. He ended the whole series by telling us this. Go your way. You will die. And then, in Christ, you will be raised, and he's got a place for you. So that's what we're supposed to do with all these prophecies? Yeah. Go your way. You will die. Go ahead. Go your way. Go to Sunday school. Have your lunch. You will die. And then in Christ, you'll be raised up eternally and made to stand in your allotted place. Now you tell me, how does that not change the way you work this week? You stand in your allotted place. How does this not give you true grit, true courage? Go your way. You will die. How does that not change? And everyone you work with will die. And they will be raised to one of two places. How does that not change how we pray for God's mission to go around the world? How does that, and you've got to stand in your allotted place. I have my allotted place, and it's not your allotted place. Your allotted place is not my allotted place. I am not allowed to go to the factory where you work. They'll kick me out. I'm not allowed there. I'm not allowed to go to the classroom where you teach little children. I'm not allowed there. You understand? I'm not allowed to give medical injections. Not that kind of doctor. I can't do it, right? That's your allotted place. And you're going to do that. And you're going to go your way knowing you're going to die and living every day in light of God's resurrection and knowing all the people around us, they're going to face eternity. How does that not change everything? How is every mundane detail of your life not shot through with resplendent glory? Knowing that you will go your way. Go your way. What do I do with all these prophecies? Go your way. Keep on keeping on. Till the end, there will be an end. You will die. Oh, but he's got a place for you. How do I know? The man on the middle cross said we could come. That will give us true grit. And with that, we close our series on Daniel. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Authenticated. Thank you for your servant Daniel, who by his example and even by his own frailty and fearfulness give us hope and courage. And thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity. Our, our names can be written in the book by you based on what you did for us. You died and rose again. You died for our sins. It's you who rose again. And we thank you for that. God, grant to anyone who is unsure of their salvation, grant to anyone the conviction today to be saved. If they, if they would say their name is not written in the book, let today be that day of their salvation. And for every blood-bought believer whose name is in the book, let them take full assurance and live in that knowledge. And let them go their way to Sunday school classes and go their way to a delicious lunch and to fellowship with friends and family. Go their way knowing we're going to die. But in Christ, we'll be raised forevermore. God, we ask for the courage this week to live as Daniel lived, to pray, oh God, and cause all of hell to quake with that great weapon, 
your power accessed by your people in prayer. We sense even now the demons don't want us praying right now. Who knows what angelic, demonic battle is being waged even right now as our hearts are drawn together in this room, praying. Praying for those who don't yet know the name of Jesus. God, reach them. Praying, oh God, for homes and marriages and families to be strengthened even now. Praying, oh God, for the sick to be healed. Not because we're great prayers, but because you're a great prayer answerer. Praying for unity among Christians and churches in our city and county, in our world. God, we thank you for a little peek behind the curtain today. And we thank you for the hope beyond the grave. And we thank you, Lord, that we can go our way back to today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.